everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Thurston County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com slash hb. Again, altitude-re.com slash hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey everybody, welcome to a special edition, episode 61 of Real Hawk Talk. This is Brian Nemhauser. You can find me on Twitter at HawkBlogger, uh, obviously on Facebook as well, slash HawkBlogger, and uh, on the website, HawkBlogger.com. So we are going to be recapping what was a very eventful Seahawks draft, and we talked to you earlier this week, had a lot to cover. Um, a lot of what we talked about ended up happening. Some of it didn't. Um, some things were the same. Some things were different. So we'll go through that. Um, there's also some implications of what, what's going to happen next. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, before we, I introduce the fellas, uh, I want to uh, remind folks, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the site. It should be an easy click, simple click. Um, it'll get you notifications either when we have new episodes and go live. Um, it also notify you when uh, Cable Thanos, also known as Josh Cashman, posts new videos that he's creating. And really, really excited to announce that both Josh uh, and Will uh, from Rain City Theory Series is are going to be taking on production of the pod going forward. So uh, they'll be posting it, hopefully getting it up like clockwork within 12 hours of when we're done um, recording. And... Uh, doing some additional stuff like creating some clips, sharing those on uh, and some highlights, sharing those on uh, social. So folks that might miss a little bit can get a, a glimpse of what went on. So really excited to see what those two do. And when Josh posts new videos on, on the channel, you'll you'll get notified of that too. So please subscribe. Um, and if you don't subscribe on YouTube, subscribe on your favorite uh, podcasting thing, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, um, any of those pieces. And to get in early on this next year of being a Hawkblogger patron, patreon.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash hawk blogger okay now let's introduce the fellas um, we'll do it in the order of which they arrived today uh evan hill in arizona taking a break from poolside to come in and talk seahawks how are you doing at evan on hb my legs are burned as hell, but I am super ecstatic about this draft. I, I think we had so much fun this weekend, and and I think uh, everybody just feels like I, I don't know about you guys. We can talk about more about this later, but I've never felt so positive coming out off a draft. So I'm super excited to discuss it. Agreed, agreed. Uh, next, from his uh, palatial estate up in the north, real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. How you doing, Jeff? I'm good. I'm good, man. I'm currently at my parents' house. So if my internet goes out, it's clearly a computer problem and not my internet. So then we'll learn the basis of the problem. Interesting. I like the troubleshooting. That he, he's narrowing down the issues. Um, Nathan, I, I, I see you, you frowning a little bit at, at the potential that, that Jeff is going to troubleshoot his internet that way. Um, and I see your technical brain kicking in. But uh, I do want to thank you for coming back, uh, uh, maybe even a little bit early from Spokane to make the pod. Hopefully, it was a good trip uh, across the state. How are yeah. you? I'm good. I'm good. This worked out good. So uh, no rush coming back or anything like that. I had a good trip back. And uh, my friend is because I'm troubleshooting my own technical issues over here, but uh, I think I'm good. <laughs> All right. Very good. And you can find him at NathanE11 on Twitter. So, fellas... Um, Last we talked, we went through a lot of our predictions, and <laughs> the Seahawks had five draft picks um, when we last talked. They had just traded Frank Clark. They had the 21st and 29th pick in the first round. They had, I believe, a third-round pick, a fourth-round pick, and a fifth-round pick. Uh, 
Um, they ended up making 11 choices, including turning the 21st choice into six selections. So let's start there. Um, you know, Evan, what was your reaction um, on day one? Take us through the progression on day one when that first trade was made and they turned 21 into two fourth round picks and pick number 30. That first trade, what was your reaction and where did you end up as the days progressed? To be quite honest with you, when I saw the initial compensation of two fourths, I was actually kind of bummed by that. I thought dropping down 10 spots in the first round and only acquiring you know, the 30 and then the two fourths and, and comp seems a little bit weak. Um, I, I kind of wonder how many trade partners there must have been for that spot, just because I feel like the compensation would have been a bit stronger if there were multiple people bidding for that spot. But nevertheless, they slid down to um, slid down to 30 and ended up having, you know, back-to-back -back picks before they moved back again. But there was one later pick that I was actually more encouraged by, what or one later trade that I was more encouraged by. I don't remember which one it was, but they, like, picked up a third or something. But um, that first-round slide was kind of weak, honestly, in terms of compensation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nathan, I'm curious. Uh I know you're a big fan of trading down. How did you feel after that first trade? And and uh, were you were you uh, when did you start really turning around your perspective on on what the Seahawks were doing? Uh, yeah, I mean the first trade was a little underwhelming. You know, I mean we had spent a lot of the time um, Wednesday talking about you know drops down 10, 15 picks and talking about picking up an extra third or an extra second, and obviously they just get the two fours. Um, I was happy they did it. Um, I was, I thought it was the right decision, but it did, um, you know, after a couple of weeks of fantasizing about what they might be able to get from a, a big trade down, it was a little underwhelming. Um, but then, you know, you see the, the picks that come off the board and a lot of those guys, um, I didn't think were guys Seattle would be interested in. I didn't think guys, they were guys that I wanted Seattle to be interested in necessarily. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think they hurt themselves a lot and uh, they, they got a couple extra picks and they just kind of kept that ball rolling. Yeah, Jeff, uh, one of those names that that folks were interested in, at least on CX Twitter, and, and I think uh, I think some some folks on this podcast were happy to see him not go to Seattle was uh, Montez Sweat. Um, uh, talk about the, the team passing on him and passing on some of those other players that went between 21 and 30. So one of the things I learned from doing my mock draft after the Clark trade was there was a possibility that there would be that run on defensive ends. And that's what kind of worried me and why I mentioned Collier on our show on Wednesday, because there was a clear tier drop off at some point if they all start to go. And what happened was with the Seahawks, Farrell, Cleveland Farrell went way earlier than he was supposed to go. He's a guy I could have seen as a Seahawks target at 21, and he went fourth overall. And I think that started a domino effect where all the offensive line got pushed down and it kind of screwed up Seattle's board. And it's kind of why they probably seemed a little ticked after the draft. So Sweat was the one guy that fell and it's always seemed like there was going to be one who would, I thought it would be Rashawn Gary. And that personally worried me. I wouldn't be surprised if Sweat wasn't even on their board. And I know Seattle's kind of a, they're kind of a risk averse medical team. And I know they've, the way they've handled Malik McDowell and the way they've done some past, things in the past. I would, I would, I can't say this for sure, but I again, I'd be wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't on their board at all. So passing on him to me seems like something that might have been very easy for them. While for us, a guy like that with that kind of talent looks like a miss by them, considering they got like kind of like a second round player. But to them, I bet you he wasn't even in consideration. Yeah, I. I I admit that first, uh, we get, you guys can mute. Um, I think we're getting a little feedback. Uh, when, when they made that first trade back nine spots and got two fourth rounders, it was exactly what I expected to happen, um, which was they got to 21. They didn't have the players that were creating enough demand for the Seahawks to get a really good deal for that pick. And they took the best trade available. And that trade, I, I I'm, I know there's a bunch of different value charts and we can debate that. I don't think two fourths is worth moving down nine spots in the first round. I thought that was a pretty disappointing return on that initial trade. Now, when they took that and then flipped it again for three picks 
And I think the the really critical trade um, was when it was the I think it was the third trade. I have to go back and find it, but it was when they turned. Pull it up here. When they turned the thirty seventh pick, so they turned the thirty pick. They they turned that into the thirty seventh, which was a second round pick, one hundred thirty second, which a fourth, and one hundred forty second, which was a fifth. The big trade is when they turn that thirty seventh the thirty seventh pick, that early second round into the 47th and the 77th. That, that was a second and a third. When they turned that 37th into a second and third, now the Seahawks went from having a, a, hand, a couple players in the first 100 picks to having, I think they got up to four um, due to that trade. And I think that was that was to me when the, the, the it really turned around and then they were able to do more in terms of moving up and moving down. But all told, you know, I was, I was, <laughs> I was sweating, uh, passing on some of those players, uh, at the initial trade, not anymore, you know, not, not when I saw them get the, the six players they got, not only the fact that they got six players, I said this on the blog I read this morning, there, there's an evaluation of whether the players are good or not. We're going to get into that and it's all just guessing right now, but in terms of getting value for your selections, I don't know how you could get more value out of the 21st pick than they did. So, I give them huge kudos for for what they did there. I think that made their draft, quite honestly, what they did with that pick. So, um, let's let's keep talking about that for a second. At least the, the haul that they got, um, the players that that they took that um, with the trades resulting from that pick: Marquise Blair, DK Metcalf, Ugo Amadi, Ben Burkhaven, Gary Jennings, Travis Homer. Uh, Evan, of those six guys, who, who's got your attention? Honestly, it's, we're not really spending a lot of time on him because his body isn't absolutely jacked and he doesn't look like Godzilla, but it's Marquise Blair. Like I'm really, really excited about Marquise Blair. I think going into the draft safety was a huge, huge target priority for the Seahawks. Obviously Tedrick Thompson hasn't played, um, up to expectation. Uh, Bradley McDougald is really the only, uh, player that we can count on in that position. Delano Hill is still a little iffy. He, his his status is up in the air, but Marquise Blair is really a player that um, I think brings a lot of like power, hungriness, anger to his hits. And, and if you watch his highlights and, you know, his, his breakdowns and, you know, the scouting reports on him, he's a beast. Like he, he hits, he hits people like Cam Chancellor and, and um, he can cover well and, and he can tackle well. And I, I think, um, you know, he has some versatility that I think the Seahawks are super excited about. But Pete Carroll did mention that he wants him playing down in the box. So I, I almost wonder if uh, they said that they were going to start him at strong safety. So I wonder if this is kind of um, early to project. But I wonder if week one of 2019, it's Bradley McDougal at free safety and Marquise Blair at strong safety. I could really see that being the case. And, and, um, but I'm really glad they, they, you know, targeted the position and, and I think he's a stud and I think he uh, is a little underrated. So G DK Metcalf is exciting, obviously, um, with Russell Wilson's deep ball ability, but Marquise Blair is definitely the name I'll be watching. Yeah, that was a surprise one for me. Uh, I loved, I love they got a safety and I love, I love the style of Blair. I feel like their bigger need is it free. So I don't know if that was just the their best safety overall on the board and they went for the guy that they believe can be a starter. But uh, I, you know, I think Bradley McDougal's a little bit better and strong than he is at free. Um, but yeah. I, I was pretty happy to have a player like that. Um, Nathan, you had, you had some thoughts there on, on Blair? Yeah, no, I love Blair. Um, I think I'd agree that he's maybe the one I'm the most excited about. Um, all the same sentiments, you know, a little bummed that they don't see him more of the free safety right away. Um, it is something he did in Utah, so it's something that he, he could grow into. Um, and I do think it makes sense to start him uh, as a strong safety. Um, but, yeah, he's uh, his tape is just incredibly fun, um, big hitter and stuff. So, um, he, he's, uh, yeah, he's one of my favorites in this class. Jeff, what about you out of, out of all those guys? Uh, a little interesting that both Evan and Nathan uh, go for Marquise Blair. Uh, DK Metcalf was mentioned, but it was not the guy that they, they picked. So uh, how about you? 
Um, to me, it's not even Metcalf. It's the other receiver, Gary Jennings. And uh, I missed one of the pods this year. I was at, I was in Texas for a bachelor party, if you guys remember. And when I was there, I was at the West Virginia, Texas game. And Gary Jennings was, he just jumped off the page to me. He made like the last second touchdown to win the game. So I remember that guy's name going through the whole draft process. I thought he was a guy who fit for them really well, like end of day two or early day three. And I thought after they took Metcalf, they weren't going to go double receiver. I thought they'd address maybe another pass rusher. And when they took him right away to start day three, I was really jacked up. I think he's a great fit for them. He's a little more polished than Metcalf. And initially, I, I read your article today. Initially, I thought he might be a slot guy the way they think it's going to be outside. And now you have his speed outside. He's a little more polished than Metcalf. So when you have those two guys as potentially your outside receivers to pair with Lockett, that's a really, really fun group. And we've been talking about the need for receiver for so long. And to get two guys who are speedy and can make plays down the field, it seems like they are going to start passing more and they are going to start building our own Russell, which is things we've all been clamoring for for months. And to get two pretty good receivers, to me, was really, really exciting and really showing progress from a team that really looked like they were going nowhere a month or so ago. So overall, was that your favorite, Jennings? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think the Metcalf one was the most exciting just because it was a big name. They traded up. I liked Collier, but he's not the kind of guy that's going to get you really excited. He's just like a solid player. To me, that was the one, maybe because I knew him, maybe because I had had kind of hoped he'd be a target if they didn't go receiver early. The double down on that really shows that it seems like they're making progress and they're going to build around that deep passing game and the play action game. And to me, that, yeah, I'd say that's my favorite pick. Yeah, I, uh, I, I got to go with Metcalf. Uh, I mean, I think, uh, the fact that the Seahawks got a player who, from a physical profile perspective, they just haven't had a guy like this. I mean, I think he's uh, – there's not many guys like him around. And, and his potential is pretty high, and I think his ceiling is, is extremely high. And – I love, I love high ceiling players, you know, like I just, I know that it's all a bit of a gamble, but um, I think his, even what he can do well now, even though he's a bit of a raw player, which is runs in a straight line really fast and jump over guys or out muscle them. That fits in exactly with what this team likes to do on offense and into their play action game. And um, I think that can get him on the field pretty quickly. <laughs> and I also do think the uh, the fact that he's going to be a good blocker, um, I think he could potentially be an interesting player if they choose. I don't know how much he did it in college, but if they choose to hand him the ball um, around the end, like that's a big dude. Like, uh, and he's going to be moving fast. So I, I don't know from an agility perspective, maybe that's not his strength, but I'd love to see them get him the ball. He is a guy that I wouldn't mind seeing you know, on a wide receiver screen and see him just bolt through some people for, for a little bit, maybe break it for, for, for longer. So um excited to see what he brings. Um, uh, Evan. So I was asking before just about your favorite player from the, the hall they got for the 21st overall. Um, what other players, I mean, uh, what other players stood out to you as you, as you went through the draft, we haven't talked about LJ Collier, for example. I mean, first, yeah. round, first round, the only first round pick they made. The one player I'm actually like low key super excited about is John Ursua. I think is that how you say his name? Uh, wide receiver from Hawaii. He's like a really shifty uh, slot slot. I almost said slot corner, but slot receiver. Um, where his number one ability is basically route running. He's a, an extremely efficient, proficient route runner, and he was somebody that Seattle was targeting targeting in the later rounds. Obviously, with Doug Baldwin potentially. Um, you know, retiring and ending his career. I, I think the void at receiver is, is very clear. And, and, you know, like how many, how many players did they draft at receiver? They drafted three receivers this draft. That's, that just hammers, you know, the point home that the area is a clear position of need for them. And, you know, they even went so far to say that, you know, they traded like a 2020 uh, six round pick for him. So that was the only pick they traded from 2020 to move back into the seventh seventh round. And, and it sounded like based off some reports and what reporters were saying is that he had a lot of interest from a UDFA perspective. So um, I think somebody said even like 15 teams were interested in him. So um, for Seattle to move up 
you know, and trade a future pick for him shows that I think there might be some potential there. Um, we never know with these later rounds. You know, we saw Chris Carson from the seventh round the year before, David Moore the seventh round the year before too. I think um, I think uh, he has the potential. He has. Let me put it this way. Obviously, when you talk receivers, like projecting into the NFL, you always talk about them producing a lot in college. But other than that, I'd say like the number one skill um, that a lot of people agree on that translates to the NFL is clean route running abilities. It's something we saw with Tyler Lockett and so many other receivers. So for him, for that to be like his number one skill is um, encouraging and interesting at the same time. So he's somebody we should definitely be watching in camp. Nathan, I'm curious uh, how you felt about Collier. Uh, is that the guy you looked at at all? I know that I want to go talk to Jeff, too, because Jeff had mentioned Collier in our – give him kudos for mentioning him in our pre-draft uh, show. Thoughts on him? Yeah, um, he was someone that I thought Seattle was really interested in. They'd been linked to TCU for a long time. He was a guy that I felt pretty strongly was in play for them. Um, I like him. Um He's a little underwhelming for a first round pick. Um, he's a power guy. He's um, a five tech, uh, not, you know, a pure edge guy. Um, didn't test particularly well. Um, so there's maybe some questions about, you know, his ceiling kind of. Um, but he's, you know, like a lot of these guys in this draft, he's tenacious. Um, he can get after the quarterback just by bullying offensive linemen and, and uh, you know, he's got a, a big motor. Um, so I think he is, uh, he's got a good shot at being a good player. Um, I think the thing that'll be really interesting to see is that uh, is how he does when he moves inside. Um, it's not something that TCU for whatever reason asked him to do, um, even though he kind of has the build and skill set for it. Um, TCU has a kind of a, a little bit more of a unique and a very kind of um, they, they seem to have pretty specific roles for their guys um, that Collier maybe didn't really fit in. So there's that aspect of it too. Um, I think he got a chance to do it a little bit more in the senior bowl and look pretty good doing it. So if he can be, you know, uh, uh, a productive pass rushing five tech on, you know, early downs and then slide inside and be, you know, uh, a productive interior pass rusher on pass rush downs, then I think that really kind of boosts what he is as a player, how valuable he is. Um, but even if, you know, the interior stuff doesn't really work out, he, he's a good player. He's, he's strong. He's like I said, he's, he's tenacious. So um, a little underwhelming, but a good player and someone that they clearly like, like uh, I, I definitely get, uh, I definitely believe that they felt strongly that he was, you know, their type of guy. Yeah, Jeff. I, I, I think that, I think what happened there, my read of it is, I don't know that they saw him as a first round talent either, but I think that they went to their typical approach. We talked about this before the pot, before the draft as well, that um, they saw a run on defensive linemen and defensive uh, and pass rushers in general in the first round. And they saw a pretty steep cliff between Collier and the next possible guy. And they saw other players, you know, positions where there's more depth. So what do they do? They use their their pick to take the best from a, what they saw as a thin, you know, a thinner position group um, before it really cliffed off to the next group. And then ended up getting some guys that some people, like if they drafted Metcalf in the first round, I think there might have been a very different reaction um, from people. So I think they ended up getting uh, value, but I think they got it in in the way that, that they know how. So, so what are your thoughts on the Collier pick? Hello there. Um, when I was like prepping for that mock draft the other day, I kind of, when I, I even do this when I'm like, I'm planning for fantasy drafts, kind of like the tier players based on certain groups and just to kind of see where the tiers really drop off. And I knew if there was a run at defensive end, there was a big drop off at one certain spot. And that was like the Collier range. And a lot of people thought that they wanted Jerry Tillery. I'm not sure about that. I don't believe that is true. I know Brady Henderson shot it down when I think Davis was tweeting that out the other night. Like it was a matter of fact, Brady shot that down. So Collier kind of was the last guy. And then if you looked at the receivers and you looked at the safety, which we all identified as needs, and it's clearly so did John, which was one of the biggest positives of the draft. There was a lot of receivers left and there was a lot of safeties left. So I'm guessing the guy like Harry, 
from Arizona State had a much higher grade than Collier. But if you looked at the number of receivers left, it was astronomically bigger compared to defensive end, where it was pretty much about to jump off a cliff unless they liked that edge guy from Michigan, Winovich. He was like the last guy left. So just from a value perspective, I know it's not your typical first-round guy, but it made sense why they went there and passed on the receiver, though. Imagine we were all a little underwhelmed that Harry went to New England and they traded out that pick. But from their board, it kind of made sense, and they were right to assume that because there was a giant drop-off. But I think why Collier's kind of a weird first-round pick is he's different than the kind of guys Seattle has identified in the past, especially at that spot. He's not an athletic freak like uh, Bruce Irvin or uh, Frank Clark, where those guys are really sparked up. Those guys are like dynamite rushers off the edge. Collier's more of a power player, as Nathan just said. He's more of a bull rusher, and he doesn't have that crazy speed, crazy athleticism. So he's not the most exciting player, and that, that speed is such an advantage in Seattle where you can get that quick jump. So he's not that kind of player, maybe that dynamic athlete. Seattle always goes for that big upside guy. I think a lot of people have come up with a Michael Bennett. I know Nathan shot that down, so I dug a little more into that. I think Nathan was kind of right. I think Trey Flowers might be a better comparison, the guy from uh, New England who just got paid $17 million. Uh, he's not the most like electric edge rusher. He's more of a power, take on bodies, push people around. He took a little while to develop, and I think that might be a better ceiling for him. I don't know if that's realistic or not. He just got paid $17 million, but Collier's game is kind of similar in terms of style, more of a bull rusher, more of a power guy. Because we're used to having that athletic guy, but when a lot of people were mad that they didn't take Harry and they took him, I totally understood it. And the fact they were able to get Metcalf in the second round, the end of the second round, kind of proves that they did read the board correctly. Yeah. Yeah. You end up with... Jennings as well. So I think I think you got two pretty intriguing receiver prospects, and then you've got Ursua at the end. Well, three of those guys, I think they've have upgraded that position in a way that the Seahawks have not upgraded a single position in a draft. And I can't think of how long. Like, I mean, obviously Russell Wilson was a single pick that upgraded that position, you know, massively. But when you're talking about a group of players in a, a position that's more than one player. They've tried in the past, um, and we'll see. The guys obviously have to prove it, but you know, you've you've had the John Moffitt and you know James Carpenter drafts. They got Cam and Earl in one draft. What's that? They got Cam and Earl in the same draft. Right, right. No, they definitely did. And, the, yeah. and so, I think they got Byron Maxwell in that draft as well, if I'm remembering right. Either that or that was next year with 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 Richard. But. Um, in any event, uh, interesting that they, they triple dipped there, and, and I think that's pretty pretty of note. But the Collier one, um, let's talk about it for a second. I mean, one area that they didn't address in this draft that we all thought that they were going to try to was edge rusher. And I think that Collier, I'm 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 bullish on on Collier. Um, no pun intended. I, I think that I think that he, I think he's got. A lot of violence to his game and uh, looks like he's going to be strong both of hand and of, of you know core strength and and I think the Seahawks know what to do with players like that high motor um, has some real talent so I, I'm high on him but he is not a Leo like that's that's not what he profiles to be and that's what Frank was fulfilling that role I don't think any of us believe Jacob Martin is ready to step in as a, a Leo and and hold up against the run and do what he has to do there as well so you got Rasheem Green um, as a guy that could possibly do that, although I don't know that Rasheem really profiles as a Leo, a classic Leo either. He's a little bit heavier and he's a little bit more of an interior rusher. So, you know, my conclusion is that, and I think everybody's is now, that we pretty much know that they're going to go heavy into free agency, um, you know, come come May 7th. And there's some, some meaningful names. I, I'm kind of curious, Evan, do you have – you know, anybody if, uh, but after this, but we've talked about Ezekiel Ansah, we've talked about Ndamukong Sue, we've talked about Nick Perry. Um, there's a pretty long list of names um, on there. Uh, how would you feel if the Seahawks ended up signing uh, Ziggy Ansah and Nick Perry? Like if they if they added two vets um, to that pile, how would that change your perspective on on that part of the team? Yeah, well, it would definitely feel much more solidified since they only took, you know, one edge rusher in, edge rusher in the draft. So they're really kind of hedging their bets on 
on who they have in Rasheen Green, Jacob Martin, and of course, um, LJ Collier. So um, even Quinton Jefferson is in there, you know, Jaron Reed. They, they've got some names, but it, I would feel a lot more confident, you know, that the group is at least mediocre if if they added a couple names to the to the mix. You know, obviously there's Ansa, there's Andre Branch who hasn't signed, Michael Johnson, Bengals. Um, I'm just looking at names. Uh, Deion Jordan, did he re-sign with the Seahawks? Nope. Does anybody nope. know? He's, he's a name that's come up a couple of times, but um, if you wouldn't mind taking a look, like uh, from a cap perspective, where the team you know currently stands with where this will look like with uh, yeah counting for some of the the picks and also you know some of the news coming out around potentially Doug Baldwin retiring, which you know we can touch on a little bit. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, so heading into the draft, uh, bef- before, like, any players were selected, we were sitting at, like, $26 million in cap space, uh, open cap space. That's not accounting for rookies or IR or anything like that. That was, you know, taking Frank Clark off the books, which was, like, $17.5 million. So we jumped from, like, you know, 9.5 to 26. Um, after the draft, uh, I wouldn't assume that all those players will make the roster, so we're probably talking, like – subtract like five to six million to be super, super conservative for rookies. So 26 down, you know, five to 6 million, 20 to 21 million. Um, that's how much money we're working with. Ansa is probably like uh, 10, 11, 12 million. I would guess maybe I'm overshooting it, but I, I think he's got a lot of talent. That's just hinging on that, on that shoulder. Um, you mentioned Doug Baldwin. So Doug Baldwin, if we cut him pre June 1st, uh, he's scheduled to make, million this year against the cap. Uh, If they cut him, it's Uh, 6.3 million in dead money and it would be 6.8 million in savings. So like I said, accounting for rookies, uh, we're at like 20 million in cap space, which is more than enough to, I think, add a a few pieces, even expensive pieces uh, to the D line. And if they cut Doug Baldwin, then it would open up an additional 7 million. And there's also even been speculation that, you know, They'll move on from uh, Mingo or or Jerron Brown. Cutting Mingo would open up 4.1 million in cap space. Jerron Brown would open up 2.75 million in in cap space. But I think the number to really keep in mind as a fan is after the after the draft and after the Frank Clark trade, they're working with about 20 million in cap space, and uh, it's a good number. They can you know they, they can pretty much compete for anybody who's left on the market. So they're a good position. There. Important thing there is that between Mingo, Brown, and Baldwin, you're talking about flexibility of another like twelve ten million. Yeah, right. It's it's four, three, and you said six for Doug. Yeah, six point eight. Yep, math is hard. That, you're right. Like twelve uh, to you're thirteen. Talking about, you're talking about um, you know, thirteen million and thirteen yep. million, something like that. So then you're up to like. 35 million in cap space. That's a lot of cap space for them to then go after. I assume that they're going to do something with Jaron Reed and maybe with Bobby Wagner, but something, um, Nathan, that some folks in the chat are bringing up. I'm curious your point of view on, I have mine. Um, they're like, Hey, why not go out there and, and trade for Jadavian Clowney? Um, what's your point of view on that? It seems like if we're going to praise them for trading away, Frank Clark, uh, that then turning around and trading for Javian Clowney is maybe um, not the right move. Uh, it all obviously depends on um, compensation, uh, but let's not do what the Chiefs did and trade away your one guy just to trade for somebody else, and you know maybe even come out on the wrong side of it pick wise. Um, I would love to have Javian Clowney on the team. I just don't think that's the right move. Yeah, Jeff. I don't know if you feel any differently, but. My my gut is going veteran, signing a couple, creating a pile um, of of affordable one year veterans um, is a smart way to go. There's actually a good match of talent for need here, and the risk profile is going to make it so that Seattle's a pretty good opportunity for them, um, and should work should be a win win. I I personally would like that better than giving up draft capital and then you know serious cap space to sign a guy like Clowney who. I don't know that I don't know he's the guy that I would go to to great lengths to pay. No, that would be completely illogical. You would have been better off paying Clark, especially since you know him, the path he was on. 
he might command a contract bigger than Clark. He's been really tough in negotiations with the Texans. That would be a massive mistake and kind of counteract all the progress they made in this draft. And the fact that they still have pretty much all their picks for next year lined up, which is like 11 picks now, that was another big plus of this draft. But yeah, I don't see that happening. John keeps pointing to that third wave of free agency. I think he's kind of tipping off what his plan is there. He's mentioned it a bunch of times. Pete mentioned we're not done yet. I think that means it's that comp pick day, May 7th. That's when they're – that's what they're going to do. I, praying for Clowney is nuts. That, that makes no sense. I think <laughs> it's almost like May 7th is going to be Seahawks fans free agent – they want a free agency day. Like that's a day that, you know, usually Seahawks fans circle the first day of free agency and then they realize, oh yeah, we never do anything on this day. Um, I think May 7th might be a day that uh there's some some news to pay attention to on the free agency front for the Seahawks. So um let's get back to the picks. Uh you know, another area group position group that the team added to and we haven't really talked about, um, I hadn't really talked about beforehand as much either, is linebacker. So the team added Cody Barton um, in the third round, and they added Ben Burkhoven uh, later on. I think he was fifth round. Uh, I'll start by just saying um, I don't know Barton's game that well. I've watched him play a few times. Uh, seems like a fine player. The interesting piece that I'm, I'm – and Ben Burkhoven to me is is also – I mean, he's a he is an instinct, instinctive player. He's got some good athletic ability. I, I, I've always been watching him, wondering about his NFL career, and he just feels really undersized to me. It's hard for me to imagine him really holding up in an NFL season, but but we'll see. Worst case scenario, these guys are special teamers, you know, and can be really positive there. Best case scenario, they're they're part of the next wave of linebackers for this team. Um, I'm curious, uh, Nathan, how do you feel? How do you interpret the Cody Barton selection? Do you at all see that as a hedge on whether they're going to bring Bobby Wagner back? Uh, when they just took Barton, I didn't really think too much of it. I, I joked about it on Twitter saying they're going to trade Bobby now, but um, <laughs> I don't really, I mean, they're in a weird place to try to p- trade Bobby right now. And when you take one linebacker, when you know, you've got one guy that might be going to jail and another guy that, um, had a pretty lukewarm, you know, KJ didn't have a, a ton of interest. They didn't, you know, pay him a ton. Um, you know, maybe they're just planning for the future with, with, with that. Um, but then to take uh, Ben Burkirvan as well later on, I mean, it, he was fifth round, I think. Right. And so at that point you're just kind of going BPA probably, but um, it's interesting that they grabbed two linebackers and, and that they, it, it could signal that they're planning for a future without either Bobby or those other guys that that could very easily not be here next year. Uh, Jeff, what's your take on on both those players? Where do you think they fit for the Seahawks now and, and down the road? So at first, I was a little surprised when they did move up for Barden. And the more I thought about it, it actually made a lot more sense to me. I think it's a pretty good forward-thinking move. I think that's KJ's replacement for 2020. I think that's where they see him. I think that makes sense, the kind of move that – a team like the Patriots would make they get a year early on it. Last year, how many times did we talk about Austin Calitro and Mingo when those guys got hurt? And I think they viewed it the same way, that those guys just were not up to the talent of NFL players. So I look at I look at Barton as kind of the replacement for KJ. He, he was durable last year. If he's not hurt healthy or Kendricks doesn't come back, now you have him. And I looked at BBK more as an upgrade on Calitro than anything on Bobby. And to me, that's important. Calitro played a lot of snaps last year. And that wasn't good. He got torched by like Kyle Shanahan in that one game. To me, he just looks like a preseason kind of player. It doesn't look like an NFL player to me. And this guy, BBK, you guys know him better than I do. So if he's an upgrade on him, that's a to me, that helps the roster a lot. And those are the kind of little things that really make a big difference because injuries are such a big factor there. Well, yeah, I will say that besides – I mean, besides uh... – you know, adding some players that the Seahawks certainly made it tougher on us writers um, with DKs and LJs and Ben Burkervins. And I, I, my fingers were killing me this morning writing. So, um, I, you know, I look at it and I see two guys 
that um, really upgrade the depth. I see, I see. as Jeff was saying, I don't think Austin Calitro is a guy that you really want on your roster. I think if he's there, that's probably an indication of, of some challenges you've got. And let's be really honest. I mean, I love Shaquem Griffin. He was rough at linebacker last year, like really rough. And I think that he showed a little bit on special teams, which should help him this year. They're talking about giving him some snaps at edge. But the fact that they're talking about giving him some snaps at edge is not necessarily meaning that they believe he's the answer. That might just be another indication that they don't think he's a linebacker or they don't think he's going to add as much value there. And so they're searching for where he can. That could be an indication he may not make the squad. Um, so, uh, you know, having Ben Burkirvan, having Cody Barton behind uh, the other players, I think could be interesting. I hope that it's an indication that Barkevius Mingo is is potentially at risk too, because Barkevius Mingo was a big special teams player last year. He was not a very good starter at Sam. And if this gives them the opportunity to move on um, because they have special teamers that they believe can replace what Mingo did, all the better. Um, and then we can talk about other players taking that, those spots. Um, I think yeah, uh, these guys, both of these guys are good players. Like uh, they'll probably just be depth pieces this year. And then maybe they'll, you know, I, I don't think uh, Barton's going to supplant KJ until an injury happens. And that maybe feels more like a win and not an if at this point, but Barton is, he's another fun guy. I mean, he's uh quick. He, I think he had the fastest three cone in the entire combine of any player. Um, I don't know that you really see that on the tape, but he is a athletic player. Um, he's a stopper. He doesn't hit quite like Blair does, but like guys go backwards when he tackles them, which is a little different than Burkirvan who finds the ball a lot, but isn't always making guys go backwards or even down all the time. Um, so Barton's a guy that I, they did not take him thinking, oh, he'll just back up KJ for a couple of years. Like, I think he's a guy that's going to be a good player for them and, and will be a starter for them sooner than later. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree that they see more than just special teamers in Barton. Yeah. The, the highest selection they've ever spent on a linebacker was on Bobby in the second round. They haven't spent a, a draft pick above four. I want to say on a linebacker um, until this year. So he's Barton's the second highest picked linebacker by this front office. So they tend to find value with that position elsewhere or later. And, and so I think that is an indication they, they see something meaningful for him in, in, in the future. Um, but I, I feel like we have really not discussed the wide receiver situation enough. There's a lot of news there. There's a lot of folks asking about it and Let's talk about it, uh, you know, at large, writ large. So first, uh, some folks are asking me, like, we got to talk about the Doug Baldwin tweet. What does it mean? Um, so uh, we'll start there by, if you haven't seen it, Doug Baldwin sent out a fantastic troll of a tweet um, where he basically was, was talking about that he wants to break the news before anybody else. And he was talking about his eight, eight seasons and all this kind of stuff. If you just read that tweet, you would think he's announcing his retirement. Um, if you read his next tweet, he talks about Game of Thrones. Um, he, he is just trolling you. Um, so while I absolutely believe that, that Doug Baldwin probably is going to retire at some point, I don't think he's going to do it that way. <laughs> uh, and he's going to do it when he feels good and ready. Um, that's not it. So, so folks that are freaking out a little bit, take a, take a deep breath. Um, that tweet did not mean, um, anything about his career, but I think we all believe that he's, he's probably not going to take another snap. So, so let's talk about a future where that's the case. Um, the Seahawks took three receivers, DK Metcalf, Jennings, Gary Jennings, and, uh, uh Ursua. Um, let's start with you, Evan. You've already got, you know, you got Tyler Lockett, you got David Moore, you got Jaron Brown. Um, you got Malik Turner, you know, kind of go on down the list. What are you, who, pick, pick your five. Let's say they usually end up going with six, but pick your five Seahawks receivers that break camp with next year. That's a really good question. I would pro so obviously start with Tyler Lockett. I think Metcalf makes the roster. He better make the roster. Uh, I think David Moore is in there. I think Gary Jennings is in there and I'm struggling on my fifth. Um, it might be Ursua, the seventh round pick. 
it really might. I, I'm a strong believer in his route running abilities. And, and if Doug Baldwin retires, uh, the slot is going to be an empty void. So I think, I think those are my five. Uh, Nathan, give me, give me your five and give me like, actually, instead of give me your five, give me your, give me your three receiver set. Who's in it to start the season? Who's in it? You know, is it the same that ends the season? Who do you want to see out there in the three receiver set? Uh, that's a good question. Um, it's probably Lockett, Moore, and Metcalf that you want out there in your if you're running eleven, right? I think that's probably what you want from start to finish. Um, of course, you know Ursula Jennings, those guys working in there will be good, but I think those are the you know Moore taking another step in his career. Lockett is obviously Lockett, and then um, Metcalf, you know, stepping up and getting good playing time this year would be the best case scenario. What's your what's your expectation of Metcalf like in in that in that world? Is he, is he uh, like what is my expectation as a player, or like in this scenario where he's you know in that starting three? What do you expect the, from him this year? I don't know. I mean, so I, I've always been a little bit more down on Metcalf than most people did or or have been. Um, I thought his he went about where he should have, where a lot of people thought, you know, he wouldn't be available to him at 21. Um, obviously I get the upside, like it's plain as day. He's super fast. He's a huge human being. Um, he's, you know, got a lot of potential and he can be a lot of fun. Um, but that said, there's a lot of question marks with him. Um, you know, he's had health issues. Um, he didn't produce, uh, which is pretty concerning. Um, and, you know, had concentration drops, um, not a really well-developed receiver at this point. You know, even John and I think Pete were pretty open about that and what he was asked to do at LSU. Um, obviously, the sky is the limit for, for him, but he's a big um, question mark. I, I think that fans, like, should really temper their expectations for him, um, especially early on. Well, uh, last I'll, I'll ask you this now. Again, go to you, Jeff. When you say temporary expectations, give me uh, an over/under. Like, do you think that that I'll, I'll give you on David Moore's numbers from last year? Okay, tell me if you think that uh, it's reasonable to expect more or less of this than DK Metcalf. So, Moore had 26 catches for 445 yards, 17 yard average, and five touchdowns. Do you think DK Metcalf does better than that? Worse than that? Roughly the same? If you get if we get that from DK this year, I think that that'll be a good year. I think that I wouldn't expect a lot more than that from him. Jeff, what's your take on how this receiver group has been uh, reshaped? What, what, are you, what are you? How are you expecting it to play out? Um, yeah, I was very positively, but I guess enthused by the whole thing because I think we were all kind of worried based on. I don't know if it was the coaching staff or John. I can't remember who said it, but they were, there was a lot of like positive comments coming out about Jerron Brown at some point earlier in the offseason, how they need to give him more time because the numbers, his touchdown numbers were pretty high. I can't think of it. Pete who said that. So I was a little worried that they were buying a little too much into unsustainable touchdown numbers and Brown didn't really show much outside of that. And so to see them invest two pretty high picks in receiver really showed that they saw receiver as a similar need as, as us which the Seahawks offensively have not gone that way at all in recent years. We've read their team very differently than they have. So I was pretty enthused by that. I think I'm more along the lines with Evan, where his, his five receivers, I think Patrick Turner's got a shot to be the fifth guy there. And maybe they keep Brown around if they have this extra cap room. Did you mean Malik Turner? Yeah, Malik Turner. Who's, I don't know Patrick Turner. I think he's to play USC. Yeah. Um, yeah, Malik Turner. My bad. He showed a little bit last year. I think he might be in the fifth guy, but Evan's right that they need some slot options. I think the problem that worries me still is I think the splits last year when Baldwin wasn't on the field was how different their third down numbers were. And Russell really needs to be comfortable with his receivers. Rookies tend to develop a little slower in today's NFL. It's just a big learning curve, especially a team that passes as little as Seattle does. So that's the part of the team that still worries me on paper. It's a really fun group. There's a lot of upside. Metcalf's going to be great to watch despite some of his raw, raw skills. But I'm worried about who's the third down guy. Because when Baldwin left the field last year and he wasn't around, they really had trouble on the third and like five to eight kind of plays. 
they don't have that intermediate guy right now and they have a lot of long speed, but that's what still worries me without really adding on tight end either. Yeah, that, that, that is absolutely a, a good point. I think, <laughs> I think everyone appreciates Doug Baldwin and, and uh, I know that he's got a lot of fans. I still don't know that people really understand how good of a player he is um, relative to other receivers in the NFL and across Seahawks history. And not only was he physically gifted, but he was incredibly heady in terms of how to find the spots and how to, to get open. So, uh, you know, as, as good as Tyler Lockett is, I don't think you've yet seen him be that guy on third down that is finding the soft spots con continuously and, and, you know, making the clutch catch in, in those situations. So there's going to be a third down question. I would say, uh, not surprising, none of you mentioned Amara Darbo, um, <laughs> although he's getting plenty of mentions in the chat. Uh, I don't think any of us believe that Darbo has a shot to make this team or he would have proven something up until now. I think, look, I, I guess I'd put it this way. Jerron Brown for me is probably seventh or eighth on the depth chart in terms of who I'd want to to keep um, on the, the team. And, and I really think that I almost feel more concerned that the team will force him on the roster as wanting some more experience and potentially leave one of these younger players uh, at risk of getting scooped up somewhere else. And I think that would be a big mistake. But, um, you know, I'm 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 fond of Jennings. I think more, you know, you guys know I'm high on more and uh, I think more is going to take a big step forward. It's his third season. I think he saw the field last year. I think he's ready to take that next step. So. Um, that's the guy that I'm expecting to be number two. And then, you know, I think it's going to be interesting between Metcalf and Jennings would not surprise me at all. If Jennings was the one that ends up emerging as the initial guy getting the snaps on the outside. Um, and Metcalf, you know, is a fourth receiver type of player. Uh, Ursua is definitely an interesting player who could challenge in the slot. Like, I, I think that's definitely one to watch. So he and Keenan Reynolds will go back and forth, but Keenan Reynolds got some chances for a few years. I, I just don't know that I see him. I don't know that I bet on him all of a sudden turning it around or turning it loose this year. So um, as we uh, we get, we're going to have to start wrapping up here. Let's just talk about grades, guys. Um, give me, give me your, we, we gave some offseason grades before. Um, give me two grade, grades. Give me your, your grade on the offseason to date um, with where the team started at the end of the season. And Give me your grade on on the draft in particular. Evan, let's start with you. Uh, Offseason as a total, I yeah. think it's a clear A. I think, um, and that's not just me being my optimistic self. I think they did a really good job throughout free agency. They let their guys uh, walk, and some of them get a little bit overpaid. I think um, the whole Frank Clark trade was brilliant. I think they got incredibly strong compensation in return for that. I think they protected their comp picks super well. And they didn't overspend on anybody, really. Um, I thought the kicker position addressing that was brilliant. I am so glad we finally have a good kicker. The analytics nerds can hide in their caves. We have a goddamn good kicker, and I'm so freaking excited about it. Um, so they they made that wrong right. I'm so happy about that kicker spot. Jason Myers is going to be a stud for the Seahawks. Super excited about that. Uh, the draft, I'd probably be like, uh, B plus. Uh, I thought they moved down a little bit too far from 21 to 30. If they had picked up Sweat, you know, I, I think uh, instead of LJ Collier, I think I would have been a lot more um, positive about the edge rush. But I'm a little bit concerned about that position group. Um, but overall, I think I think the draft was a stunning success, and John Schneider absolutely finessed like a few you know <laughs> GMs. So I, I think. Uh, I think it's a good deal. I, I, I genuinely believe this is like one of the best off seasons we've had in quite a few years. Jeff, how about you? Great for the off season, great for the draft. Um, I'm going to sound a lot like Evan here, but I'm going to give it an A. And if they add more edge players, I'm willing to go A plus. Um, I've been particularly hard on John in recent years and even heading into this off season. I think this is him kicking ass for the first time, probably since 2012, maybe that's 2013. Um, first, the Seahawks didn't do anything alarmingly stupid, which for them the last couple of years has jumped off the page. There's been so many moves just going from not signing dumb contracts and free agency. We can talk about the kickers, maybe one of them, but 
they talked about the comp picks. They realized their mistakes from last year. Um, the Russell Wilson deal is just we, – we can't reiterate how big that is. That just kind of set the tone for everything. I was so down on where they were two, three weeks ago. I would have probably given it a C. And getting Russell Wilson done, trading Frank. Like you go back to that article where we all wrote like things we want to see improve. They've hit almost all of them now, other than maybe being more like progressive passing wise, but which we can't see until the season. I guess they didn't fire shoddy, so that's maybe not an A plus. But um, when you look at the draft, the draft was John's best work in such a long time. That trade tree you did, Brian, was so cool. And to see him turn 21 into that, the six players, that's what John does. That's his best skill. In terms of the players they brought in the draft, it'd probably be somewhere like a B in that high profile. I'd give it maybe a B because I don't think they hit that high profile guy, like that real impact guy. But they, it's kind of like last year's draft without Penny and actually a good use of a first round pick. And there's just players throughout the draft. And just in terms of the overall draft, I'd give it an A minus uh, because of the value, because of the trades. So in terms of talent, B, in terms of overall draft performance, I go A minus. Overall offseason, A. How about you, Nathan? Basically the exact same. Um, A for the overall offseason. Um, I wish they would have uh, gotten Robert Quinn. Um, I wish they would have beaten Dallas on that offer. Uh, I wish they would not have given Myers that contract because it just wasn't very smart. Um, the the draft was an A- minus for me. Um, obviously, a lot of that is based on the trades back and the amount of picks that they were able to acquire going from 4 to 11 is, is no joke. Um, especially, you know, making a really bold move. They didn't have a bold pickup, but they had a big, bold move in trading Clark. Um, so that was really cool for them to do. Um, and then, you know, one of the guys that we didn't even talk about in terms of like the players that they got is Phil Haynes. And that guy could be starting guard at the end of the year, right? Um, they picked up some receivers. I don't love them all. Um, I'm a little tepid actually on the talent that they got at the receiver. Um, but, you know, they threw a lot against the wall. Obviously, they took some high upside guys, so that's all good. Um, yeah, it's just it's it's hard to find much to really be down on, like like the contract, like the the, the Myers contract. I, I wish they wouldn't have done that. It's not crippling by any stretch. Right. Um, Collier is a little underwhelming, but I think he's a good player. Uh, so I think that they just had a really, really, really solid offseason, um, did just about everything right. And uh, yeah, it was really cool to see. Yeah, I mean, there, there's other players we didn't talk about as well. We didn't talk about uh, Amadi. We didn't talk about Christmas. We didn't talk about the player, not the holiday. Um, and uh, didn't talk about Homer either. Um, so it was an interesting couple moves there. But, uh, you know, my my grade for the offseason right now is A-. minus. I think that it's, it's incomplete until we finish out what's going on with the defensive line. I think it's, it's tough to – They've made every choice they've made has given me more confidence and renewed my faith in this organization. I wouldn't have wanted them so far to pretty much do anything differently other than the kicker contract. And, and I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, uh, I'm not going to spend too much time worrying about that. Cause as Nathan said, it's not too crippling. I just don't, I don't think it's good business. Um, but that's the story for me is that they've just, they've made good choice after good choice. And they've also, made some moves that I don't know that any of us thought either a, that they would be willing to do and be capable of doing. And, and this isn't things like the Russell contract, the Frank trade, the um, letting go of guys in free agency that we're going to be tempting to bring back the not signing stupid guys that were going to cost them comp picks like the trade back. And then the trade back some more and turning what was, you know, a negative um, in that 21st pick and went in their first trade into what was clearly a positive in terms of the, the what they, they they got back in return. We have, you know, they've got a second round pick still out of all those deals for next year that that hasn't even come come to to pass. So as far as the draft goes for me, it's an A. It's a solid A. Um, I think for what you can judge it by right now, I think it's an A. Um, I, I actually think that there's potential for a lot of uh, upside here and I think it's on the receiver side I'm pretty high on those guys um, as I said before uh, it, it, it will be interesting I would not say that the Seahawks have had to develop a lot of receivers uh, the receivers they've got that have played well have been pretty 
developed as they came. So I think Doug Baldwin was Doug Baldwin when he got here. I think Tyler Lockett was Tyler Lockett when he got here. Um, there aren't as many examples of them taking raw talent and harnessing it at the receiver position, partially because they haven't been a team that's really looked, you know, to be heavy on the passing game. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what they do with that talent and whether they're going to take the steps to utilize it. Um, which, you know, I know a lot of folks are going to be looking at and, and there's going to be a lot of cynicism about. So story of this offseason for me was was when they made that that uh, Russell Wilson signing. I think the whole franchise turned on that on that night. And I think we've this draft was just further proof that they're building around him. And this is going to be Russell's team. And they're, I think we're going to see that in terms of how they run the offense as well. Don't think it's going to be as pass heavy as some folks want or as innovative as some folks want, but I do think that it's going to, uh, there's going to be significant more, significantly more emphasis on, on getting the balance than there was last year. So um, any closing thoughts uh, you guys have before we wrap here? Um, Evan, you, you unmuted. Go get a veteran pass rusher. And we're heading really well into the off, into the season. I'm super excited about it. They've got money to spend. John Schneider, take out your credit card. Yeah, I, I'm going to take one more minute on that note. Assuming that they sign a couple pass rushers, pick whichever your favorite, doesn't matter. Anyone here feel like the Seahawks would be, at that point, better or worse than they were when the season ended last year? Given all the moves... Do you feel like the Seahawks at that point would be better or worse than they are than they were at the end of last year? I think I'll they're gonna I, uh, start with I think you. Worse. Um, I think I think losing Clark, um, even though the right thing to do is obviously a big hit from talent perspective this year, and even an eighty percent Doug Baldwin is a pretty pretty good player, and they they might not have that. Sounds like they probably won't have that, um, and they're gonna they're gonna be pretty raw at receiver. So. Um, I think that on talent, they're probably worse. Jeff? Yeah, I agree with that to an extent. I think you lo- you lose your best defender from last year, arguably, and I guess Bobby might have been. We've talked about Doug so much on the show. Losing him is just a major blow, but the key thing for them is they're just so much better positioned long-term from where they were last year. We barely talked about safety. We hammered safety all it's such a more competitive group now both at free safety and strong safety i uh, in the short term they are probably worse russell might not put up the efficiency numbers he did but again they're so much better positioned for the future they got another 11 picks coming that's what's most important they looked like they were heading nowhere after last year to me that's the big story and evan yeah pass rush in and I think uh, nickel corner are, are the uh, the issues. Justin Coleman obviously was a big signing uh, with the Lions, $9.5 million a year. I think they're thinking that, hope, hoping that a King King can uh, take that spy and run with it. But yeah, they're probably worse off talent-wise in the short term. But there's a lot of opportunity for some guys, even drafted from not just this year, but last year, to step into some really pivotal roles and if, you know, Rasheen Green or Jacob Martin start stepping up and producing big time, who knows? You know, this could be like the short to medium term where they could be a, a much better team. So um, it'll be super interesting to watch unfold. Yeah, I'll, I'll go really quickly um, through, <laughs> through the roster, at least position group. I think safety wise, I think they're much better than they were last year, um, where they ended last year. Uh, so I feel good about that. I think corner... Corner certainly would have liked them to add more to the pile, but and I think the loss of Coleman's big. Um, so I think they're even with last year, given the amount of guys they've got to potentially replace Coleman. Um, I think that they're they're about the same place. They could be even a little bit better if Flowers continues to develop and Shaquille Griffin rebounds from a down year. Linebacker, I think they're going to be better. Uh, I think they're better at that position. And I think defensive line, if they sign the two pass rushers, I believe that Defensive line could be better overall. Um, we saw, you know, down here from Rasheem Green, um, you know, in terms of where he was. And anyway, I, I think that there's there's more upside to be had on the defensive line, especially if they get some vets that if, if Ansa if Ansa signs and he can play, two huge ifs. But if that happens, 
I think he's every bit Frank Clark as a pass rusher, um, if not more in some cases. So, you know, I, I think that that could be a huge get. Um, flipping over to the, to the offensive side, um, they're, they're, I think they're super strong at running back. I think they are strong. I think the receiver thing's real. I mean, Doug, though, the piece that I'd say there is, I think people forget Doug Baldwin was basically not playing for the first three quarters of that season. Like he was barely being targeted. He was barely part of the offense. Um, you know, the first part of the season, he wasn't even playing. Um, he came on at the end of the year, made a big deal of difference, but, um, you know, it, it's questionable how much they relied on him last year. And then, um, you know, tight end should be better if Disley's healthy and an offensive line, I think is at least a push. Um, you know, you could argue maybe it's in a little bit better shape. So, you know, as I quickly run through it, and I think special teams should be in better shape as, as well. I think there's the case to be made that the team is at least will be at least as good as last year um, from a talent perspective if they sign those those rushers. And, uh, you know, once we get to camp and see what these rookies look like and what the developing players from last year look like. Could be really exciting. So um, with that, um, folks, if you haven't already, please uh, leave a review uh, on iTunes or uh, Google Play um, just for the podcast. It's great to let more people know. Just let someone know about the show. It's a great way to, to get more viewers. And as you know, a lot, uh, we donate a bunch of money to charity every year um, that we get from the pod and from Hawk Blogger in general. It's 20000 this year that we donated to Ben's Fund, um, over 120000 overall in, in our history. So um, we get that from you guys sharing about the pod from joining up at patreon.com slash Um, please subscribe if you haven't already, um, either here on YouTube or at any of your favorite podcasting locations and, uh, keep an eye out. We will get, uh, some fun clips and other things going here. Um, as we pick up our next pod will likely be a week from Wednesday or something along that, that line. Keep an eye out on the site. Best chances to subscribe so you'll know and get notified when we add a new event. Um, otherwise, uh, have a great rest of your Sunday and, and go Hawks.